Good morning. Welcome all of you that are here uh, joining us this morning to worship. And those of you that are visiting, welcome. We appreciate that you're here and we're thankful to the Lord that he's brought you here um, to worship with us. So this morning, actually we're going to be going over uh, looking at Psalm 146. Psalm 146. So if you open there. So join me in prayer as I as we begin, as we look to the scriptures and we look to Christ. Heavenly Father, we, I dare not even think for a moment that I have anything valuable to say other than your son. To preach him and him crucified. It was the heart of Paul. It was the heart of the apostles. And it's our heart here at Cornerstone. That every time we open the scriptures, we may point people to your son. And that your people may once again be reminded of the Christ, of the Savior that they have. And there's anyone here, Father, that doesn't know you. Only you can do the work of grace. Only you can do the work of, of, of redemption. Only you can work in their hearts. Only you can take blindfolds off. And so I ask, Father, as we look at your word, that you would be pleased to do that and draw anyone here that doesn't know you unto yourself. And I pray that you would draw your people once again to yourself, those that have been distracted, those that have their minds and their hearts disconnected, that they once again would be connected because of the gospel. So we ask this, Father, in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So as you have your Bibles, they're open to Psalm 146. We want to go ahead and look at three things. We have a call to worship, a call to full dependency on God, and then we have good news for the heart that trusts in the Lord Jesus. All right? So we have a call to worship, a call to full dependency okay, uh, on God, and good news for the heart that trusts in the Lord. Let me read Psalm 146 as we begin here. So it says, Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. I will praise the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have my being. Put not your trust in princes, in a son of man in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. And that very day, his plans perish. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever, who executes justice for the oppressed, who gives food to the hungry. The Lord sets the prisoners free. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves the righteous. The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked, He brings to ruin. The Lord will reign forever. Your God, O Zion, to all generations. Praise the Lord. Amen. And that is the reading of God's Word here this morning. And so here we have a call, a command to worship in the first two verses. 
And it's been said that worship is not something we do, right? We are worshipers, right? We are worshipers by nature. If we are born worshipers, then we're going to see here what this really means. Hopefully we can unpack that here in a second. Four times in these first two verses we see praise. This word praise repeated. And the Hebrew word for this praise the Lord is what we know as hallelujah. Hallelujah. We say it oftentimes when we really don't understand, but that word, because we're not Jewish, we don't understand the significance, but that's what it means. Praise the Lord. The psalmist is particularly giving a call to those that are gathered in a synagogue. This is where this would have been read. This is where it had been sung, right? In, in a synagogue. To praise the Lord. Now, immediately we are confronted with something. The object of worship. The object of worship. I know it seems very straightforward, and, and, it, and it is. But finding the object of our worship is not our problem. You and I are not struggling what to worship. We're always worshiping something or someone. Our issue is finding the correct object of our worship. That is your struggle and that is mine. We misplace, and we're going to see that here in a second, we misplace the object of our worship. The psalmist is not interested in empty worship, but meaningful worship, purposeful worship, worship that has Yahweh, God at the center of its worship, Christ at the center of its worship. And worship is more than just simply lifting up your hands or clapping, as I've heard. I haven't heard that in a while here at Cornerstone, but you guys clapping there. It's more than that. It's more than just simply bowing down. Worship is being given completely over in admiration, in reverence to the object of your worship. And for us who understand who the object of our worship, it's none other than God. It's, it's, there's no other way to say it. We worship a living God. Just consider all the artists, celebrities, Hollywood celebrities that, that we've seen that have committed suicide, that are on antidepressants. You have Anthony Bourdain. Some of you are familiar with Anthony Bourdain. Took his own life. And when you see his, his story and you see those documentaries, you see, guy was miserable. Traveling the world. Experiencing some of the best cultures. Money. At his disposal. Miserable. Heath Ledger, young actor. Some of you know him in the movies he's played. Antidepressants, again. Take, takes his own life. And there's many like that. But you might say, well, yeah, but not everybody clearly in Hollywood or all that are, are, are depressed. and are, Yeah, you're right. I look at Jeff Bezos on TV and he doesn't look depressed. I look at Elon Musk, he doesn't look miserable. They don't. So what gives? Because, beloved, the reality is all of us Regardless, everyone here in this room, all of us at some point will give, will, will have to come to terms with our finality, with our own mortality. All of us, without exception. You have to come and give an account. I didn't write it, it's in the Bible. Now you might choose to, to have an argument and say, well, that, I don't agree with that. That's fine, that's a, that's a separate discussion. 
But we understand the Bible to be true. And we understand that all of us at some point have to ask ourselves, and, and you know this as parents, when a little one has come to you and says, what's death? When you have to explain to a child why their fish died, or why their dog died, why is there death? You try explaining that to a five-year-old, to a four-year-old. And so even early on, you start realizing death is a reality. It's unavoidable. It's unavoidable. All of us will have to render account, and we have to. What's going to happen when, when I die? And so it's important that we have our object of worship correctly placed. But the psalmist doesn't just point to that. He actually acknowledges the reality that we are prone to misplace the object of our worship. He addresses the congregation first. He says, praise the Lord, hallelujah. But then what does he say right after? Praise the Lord, O my soul. It's a reminder to the psalmist and to us that I must worship the living God. I must worship Yahweh, Jehovah. I have come to know Him. Why would I want to worship anyone else? Though I still do. I still struggle with my idols. I still do. And I'm sure many of you still do. But that's why we need to remind ourselves, praise the Lord, the object of our worship, O my soul. Stop messing around with your idols and focus back on God. We forget. You and I forget. As Paul Tripp would say, we're gospel amnesiacs. We suffer from gospel amnesia. We forget the gospel, and this is why every week we come here and say, yes, you get to hear the same gospel. Because you forget. You forgot it this morning. You forgot it yesterday, and you forgot it this week. I guarantee you. And so we're here to remind ourselves once again, look to Christ. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Put Him back at the center of all things. This is why we ought to be singing alongside King David in Psalm 103, 1-4. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. We have sung this many times. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. In other words, remember. If you're not forgetting, you are remembering. Remember. Forget not all His benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. That was King David. See, many start well. Many run the race of Christianity well. And there's many. And in recent times, we've seen this happen. That don't finish well. They don't finish well. And it's sad. It's sad to see it. I pray that that is not the case with us. But for that not to be the case, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Keep your eyes fixed on Him. Don't take them off. Him. The Israelites did this very easily, didn't they? Remember Exodus 20? Moses is up there, Mount Sinai, getting the commandments. Twelve chapters, he's getting the law. Come to chapter 32 of Exodus, and what happens? There's a golden calf. There's a golden calf. 
you think you're different than the Israelites? You might not have a golden calf, but you have other things. You have other things that you find your identity in. You have other things that, and I include myself, we have other things that we find our trust in. And that is precisely what the psalmist is reminding us. Don't go there. Praise the Lord, O my soul. And the worship of God is not temporary. Yes, we misplace our object, but how long should we continue worshiping God for? I know, I know some of you are like me, are like, just like Peter. Remember when Peter asked Jesus? When Jesus was talking about, uh, in Matthew 18, when your brother sins against you, go forgive him, go talk to him. What is Peter's follow-up question? How many times, Lord? How many times? Jesus says, 70 times 7. Keep forgiving, keep forgiving. So we, want, we, we struggle with this. We want to have a concrete answer. We want to have a number. Tell me how many times, and I'll do it. No more, no less. Just tell me. You want to know how long you ought to be worshiping your God for? Forever. For as long as you live. For as long as you have your being. For as long as you have the mental capacity to worship and understand what Christ has done for you, you continue to worship Him in spirit and in truth. That is what the psalmist is going. That's what he's driving after. Our worship doesn't stop, beloved. I believe it was our sister Natalie in, in Sunday school a couple weeks ago that mentioned, why are we going to worship? I mean, why would anyone be in heaven if worshiping God, who you were not willing to worship here? Something to that effect. And, that's, and it's been said before, and that's precisely, why would, why would God take you into heaven so that you can worship His name for all eternity, but here on this side of heaven, you, had nothing to, you want nothing to do with Him? It seems like a little bit torturous, don't you think? To be worshiping God for all eternity? That you viewed as a tyrant here on earth? As a God that was just there, full of wrath, looking to strike you down at every moment, with every turn? Go to heaven and worship Him? I wouldn't want to be there. But when you understand what He's done for you, when you, under, when you and I finally grasp what the length, the, the breadth and the length of God's love in Christ for us, it changes everything. You're no longer viewing him as this tyrant. You view him as this God, this compassionate God, who didn't have to do what he did, and yet he sent his only begotten son. That's, who we're, that's, that's the God that we're, that, that we're serving. That's why in Psalm 63, 4, David wrote, So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. That was the heart of David. And beloved, worship is not just something that we will continue doing as long as we live. Worship also is a matter of the will. I will, praise the Lord, right? This has not, worship has nothing to do with emotion, beloved. It has absolutely nothing to do. I, if I were a betting man... I would suspect that many of you didn't even want to be here this morning. Some of you would have preferred to have been in bed. Some of you would prefer to be online, watching online. Can you go get me the coffee? Let's be honest. Why here? Why didn't you serve your emotions at that moment, your feelings of staying home? 
Why struggle with the kids and getting them ready? It's just a, they just complain, they fuss, and here they are. You go through the work of getting them ready because you understand there's something far better. There's, a, there's something far greater in being with God's people here this morning. So you didn't incline, you didn't obey your emotions at that moment, did you? You based it on truth and you remembered that it's better to gather with God's people. Even though I did not want to. So, worship cannot be simply something about or related only to emotion. Emotion does come. But at the end of the day, who is Jesus seeking? Who is the Father seeking? Those that worship Him in spirit and in truth. You can go ahead and raise your hands all you want. And your heart can be completely away from the Lord. You can do it with the outward expressions. And there's people here that don't even lift their hands and are worshiping in spirit and in truth. So don't let other people tell you what your worship ought to be. It must, you can't base it on a feeling. Worship cannot be a feeling. And our worship has the Lord as our permanent object of willing worship that calls us to full dependency on God, which is my second point. Put not your trust in princes, in the Son of Man, in whom there is no salvation. When his breath departs, he returns to the earth. On that very day, his plans perish. What happened in Genesis 3? That's when everything went downhill. Mankind has been looking to everything and everyone else ever since Genesis 3. He's been looking to everything and everyone else for hope, for peace, for joy, for love. When everything at the end of the day is found only in God. And the psalmist understands that he has a congregation before him that's prone to wander. How many of us don't love singing that, that hymn? Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. How many of you can't relate with that? Because that's all of us. We're all prone to wander and to leave the God I love. But thankfully, we are prone to wander, but he isn't. You see that? I'm prone to leave the God I love, but he's not there to leave his children and his sheep, his fold. Because that's the faithful shepherd that we have. Ever since Genesis 3, we've been having divisions. Yes, there's always been political divisions, societal divisions, economic divisions, you name it. There's always been those divisions. Now we're just dealing with different types of divisions, but there's still divisions nonetheless. And it's happening here within our government, within our country, globally, whether it's a health organization, even in seminaries. I mean, we're having discussions of, you know, vaxxed versus unvaxxed. Who who are the ones that are for the vaccine and who are the ones that are anti-vaccine? You shouldn't be wearing your mask. No, you should be wearing your mask. I mean, we, we, we have all these discussions and Christians dividing over this. To me, it's just, it's unbelievable. When you see Paul and the heart that he gives in Philippians, and throughout his letters, the unity that we ought to be around in terms of the gospel. But no, you should be wearing your mask. Pull it up. You don't care about your beloved brother or sister because you're not wearing your mask high enough. Pretty soon I'm going to be wearing something that just covers my entire face wants to see your face anyway. I don't know one wants to see mine. But that, that's where we are. And people just go after each other and become combative. 
What happened to... And, 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 and the craziest thing is when people make the vaccine out to be like Christ. Now, I'm not saying... I've never given... I don't give my opinions. I don't give... At the end of the day, I don't think you want to know my opinion. Not because I have something... I don't have anything important to say. Other than look to Christ. Do as your conscience allows you to do as you read your scriptures. If, if your conscience is informing you that the best way you can love your brother or your sister is by wearing a mask, then wear it. If the best way that your conscience understands that the scriptures are telling you to love your brother or sister is to get a vaccine, then get it. If the best way that your conscience is telling you to love your brother is to let them know, look, I don't know what's in a vaccine. Even though they're t- then you know what? You do as your conscience tells you. Let no one, let no one tell you, this is what thou shall do. I don't care if it's John MacArthur or John Piper or, or whoever it might be. You have eyes and you have an ability that the Lord has given you. You have the Holy Spirit. You can read. Read your Bible. Now the Bible is not going to tell you thou shalt get vaccinated or not vaccinated. <laughs> but you have a conscience and, and the Holy Spirit is there as a counselor. Use the Holy Spirit. That's all I'm simply saying. And I don't want to make it... But the point that I'm trying to make is don't demonize. Don't ostracize people that don't necessarily agree with you. At the end of the day, what we want to come around is not around the vaccine, around the mask mandates, or whatever it is. We want to come around to the, the gospel. We want the gospel to be at the center of our conversations. If the vaccine or those discussions give you a, a, a catalyst or become a springboard to speak of the gospel, then take it. Take it. But don't look to man. Don't look to anyone else. There's no president. It ain't going to be Biden. It ain't going to be Trump. It wasn't going to be Obama. It wasn't going to be Reagan. It wasn't going to be any of them. None of them are going to provide a hope that only Christ can provide. And I'm not here to tell you to become of a political party. Because I could care less about the political parties. Truth be told. I love this country. Yes, my parents came here. I've, I've, I've been afforded all of the great benefits of, of this country. But beloved, we have a better citizenship. You have a better citizenship in heaven, is what Paul tells us. We're not of this world at the end of the day. We're not. And so keep looking to Christ. Trust no one else. The very bride of Christ, with Christ has forget. I mean, has just forgotten. Has just completely forgotten. What is the purpose of the church? Why does the church exist? To glorify none other than Christ. To teach others everything that He's commanded us. That is why we exist. To make much of Him. We are not to use this for our own political campaigns or our own, or our own soapboxes or, or our own hobby horses. This is not what this is for. The church doesn't exist to go ahead and move forward my agenda. The church exists to move the agenda of the gospel forward. That's why, the gospel, that's why we're here. And it's unfortunate that today we're having discussions. Edwin spoke of it last week. Church is dividing. What is it? The Reformed Church of America having their synod and, and discussing whether, you know, LGBTQ, you know, should we allow them in leadership? 
I mean, they're having synods, whether churches should, you know, how, how will you group one, one another? Who is allowed to separate? Are you now by region, or are you just basically like-minded churches? So if you're a church that doesn't believe that LGBTQ should, um, should be in leadership, well, then you'll join with those churches. And if you believe they should, well, you're going to join with those churches. Beloved, <laughs> it's not that hard. You're not going to find it in Scripture. But we complicate things, and then we divide over them. Just look at the PCA. You have the PCA and the PCUSA. So these, are, these things are not new. But divisions have existed. What I'm here to tell you is that we need to go back and center around the gospel. Don't look to man. That is what the psalmist is saying. Jeremiah 17.5 Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So who do you keep looking to? In Genesis 3.9, yeah. speaking of that, of that fourth verse, right? You are dust, and to dust you shall return. Beloved, we're mortals. We're mortals. Jeff Bezos will be six feet underground at one point. I will be six feet underground. Maybe some of you decide to be cremated. That's fine. But at some point, all of us will breathe our last. And that includes your favorite preacher too. R.C. Sproul, as great as he was, as fantastic as he was, no longer here. He's with the Savior. Martin Luther's no longer here. He had his moment in 1517. But no longer here. Look to Christ. Don't let media, beloved, and listen to me very carefully, don't let media or co-workers or family members dictate who to put your trust in. Kids, this is much for you. Don't let Hollywood, don't let the music game, the hip-hop culture, tell you who to put your trust in. Or whatever music you like to listen to, or reggaeton for that matter. If you do that, you're in trouble. Look to Christ. Our trust will not be anchored in Christ if we do not take the time to be in His Word. You're just simply going to be going back and forth between whatever is the newest fad, whatever is the newest trend, the newest trending hashtag. That's what's going to be moving your heart. That's what you're going to put your eyes on. For those of you that know Christian hip-hop, that's what Andy Minio says, hip-hop sold me a lie, now I want a refund. Because... That is what, what was told to us. The reggaeton artists and, and all these musicians, they, they present this, this world that only leaves you empty. That is not fulfilling in any, in any way or by any stretch of the imagination. It might seem fulfilling initially. You get all of it up front. But that's it. That reward is up front. You're not going to enjoy it for all eternity. But those that are willing to lose their life here on earth will gain life. That's the idea. And parents, if I may say this, take the time, be intentional in teaching your children about the gospel. Be intentional.
You know why you have to be intentional? Because there's others that are being intentional and teaching them other things. So teach them to look to Christ. Teach them to start treasuring and looking to Jesus. Don't let them believe the hype. Because the evil one has his fiery darts on standby. The evil one is ready there to ensnare. The world is ready to tell them otherwise. So do what the Lord has called you to. Be a parent. Lead your children to the cross. Lead your children to Christ. Because others will if you don't. I mean, they will lead them astray if you don't. So train them up. And teach them to depend on God. Blessed is he whose hope is the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God, who made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, who keeps faith forever. I understand that some of you may not trust in God. Some of us do. Many of us do here this morning. I don't know everyone. But this God of Jacob, he's basically pointing us to the reality that this God of Jacob was blessed. The God of Jacob blessed Jacob. How did he bless him? He told him in Genesis 35, Hey, by the way, you're going to be blessed. Twelve tribes end up coming from Jacob. And out of those twelve tribes, out of one of them comes our Savior. Yeah, so we're blessed. Look to Him. He is the creator and sustainer of all. The Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. The Lord gave them the manna. Remember that? When they were hungry, looking there, where are we going to eat? The Lord gave us something far better. He gave us Jesus. How is He described in the New Testament? As the bread of life. Right? In other words, Jesus, we have something better than manna. We have Jesus. You can, you can trust Him. You can go to Him. You can, you can cast yourself upon Him. And the good news, finally, for the heart that trusts in the Lord, and with this I'll close, is that He sets prisoners free. He sets prisoners free. Obviously, this is not a literal prison. What He's talking about is that there's a prison, and that prison cell is sin. We have been held captive by our sin. We were born in sin. We were, born, we were born in sin. Sorry, I apologize. We were born in sin. And if you don't understand that, then you're going to continue struggling, and you're going to continue remaining captive into that sin until you look to Christ to save you, to free you from that prison, or from that bondage of what we know as sin. Now, if we are believers, and there's believers here and unbelievers, we both still sin, Right? What believer here has not sinned or doesn't struggle with sin? If I saw a hand, I'd be very concerned. But think about it. What's the difference between me and the unbeliever? The only difference is God's grace. The only difference is that the believer trusted in Christ. That the believer repented and trusted in Christ's finishing work on the cross. That is the difference. Whereas the unbeliever is still trusting in their own works. I got this. You ever heard the, the person that when you give them a task, they're like, I got this, don't worry about it, I got this. That is the way the unbeliever continues walking and living life. It's like, hey, I got this. I'm going to figure it out. So that the day that God summons me before his presence, what are you going to tell him? I got this? I hope not. I hope you don't tell him, I got this. Hope you tell him, 
I don't have it. I don't have it. Christ has it. Christ did what I couldn't do. That's the difference. Jesus never sinned. I'm a sinner. I look to Him. End of story. And that is why now, how did I get there? He opened my eyes. That's why the Lord opens the blind and lifts up the eyes of those who are bowed down. Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. And like Isaiah, I'm here to present to you the Christ that fulfilled all of that. The good news is Jesus. There is no other good news. It's Jesus. That's why He loves the righteous. Because I am unrighteous. There's no righteousness in me that can merit salvation. But Christ's righteousness is enough. So I'll look to Him. I'll trust Him. The Lord watches over the sojourners and upholds the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked brings to ruin. What a compassionate God that we have. That He takes care of His fold. The shepherd king that watches over His fold, the sojourners, which is all of us, by the way, because all of us will depart from this world. We're all sojourning here for a time, and there will be a time when it's no more. But that I've had friends that had, didn't have fathers present in their lives that know Christ today. And one of the most beautiful things to hear is when you hear the testimony, I didn't have a father in my life, but God became my father. There's something beautiful here when you understand when God becomes your father. And that's the one that's compassionate. But there's also a warning in that same verse. The way of the wicked you will bring to ruin. Be careful. Be careful. I wish I could tell you otherwise, but if you insist on living wickedly, destruction awaits you. So, take Christ. Look to Him. And the Lord will reign forever. The God in Zion, all generations, praise the Lord. You know what's fascinating about this last verse and what this will end? What's fascinating about this verse is that the psalmist knew that there was a Messiah that was to come. But you and I have something infinitely better. We know that Christ came. We know that He will return. And how do we know that? Because we look at Revelation 19. Look at Revelation 19, verses 6-10. through 10. The psalmist didn't know this. We get to read about it. And this is what John wrote as he's getting his vision. He says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of many peals of thunder crying, Hallelujah! Sound familiar? Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. That's us. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. 
And the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the words of the true God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, You must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Period. That invitation is for you and for me. What are we going to be celebrating here in a few moments? Is that last supper. That last meal that the Lord Jesus took with His disciples. That's what we're going to be... It's a small picture of what's to come. That by faith, those that by faith have trusted in Christ will one day be sitting at that table with Jesus at the head. And I pray that if anyone here doesn't know that, I pray that you would understand this call, this good news, to come to Christ, to cast yourself upon Him. He is faithful to forgive you of your sins.